Well, as, as, as we journey through Lent, um, we're looking through how Jesus spent his final week on earth before he was crucified. We've looked at Monday and Tuesday, and today we, we get to how Jesus spent his Wednesday. Now, Monday and Tuesday were, were public days in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus was front and center in front of the people. But on Wednesday, the folks in Jerusalem didn't know where Jesus was. See, he didn't really have anything on his calendar that day. Some people have called Wednesday of Jesus' uh, final week kind of a a quiet day or a day of rest uh, because Jesus doesn't really do anything. Yet I think as, as we'll see as we go through this this morning, there was a lot going on on this Wednesday including a very interesting, uh, teachable moment for the disciples that actually could have set in motion the events of his arrest and crucifixion. Um, And we'll we'll look at that in just a few minutes. Jesus spent Wednesday um, hiding away uh, in the little village of Bethany. Uh, it it, It was about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem, it doesn't seem very far to us, but when you're walking everywhere, a mile and a half, that was a decent distance away from the city. He was just with his friends, just kind of laying low for the day. Mark 14.3, uh, from the uh, scripture that uh, Sean just read, says that Jesus was at the home of a man who was known as Simon the leper. Now, we don't know who this Simon the leper was. We don't even know why he's called Simon the leper. I guess he was healed from leprosy. Uh, We don't know if he still had it or if he was healed from it, but the good news for Simon the leper is that he made the Bible. I mean, that's not too bad if your name gets in the Bible, huh? But the bad news is that the whole world knows him as Simon the leper, not just Simon. That's like the whole world calling me Mike the Cancerous, even though I don't have cancer anymore. Poor Simon the leper, but that's his name that we have in the scripture for him. Anyway, so Jesus is hanging out in, with friends in Bethany, uh, but it wasn't so relaxed back in Jerusalem. See, with Jesus out of sight, John 14, or Mark 14.1 tells us that the top priests and the professors of Jewish law were plotting how to get rid of Jesus. He wasn't around, so they are making their move. They're looking for the perfect opportunity to kidnap Jesus. That's what they were going to do. They were just going to kidnap him and then kill him. They didn't want to put him on trial. That would be too public. Just kidnap him and kill him. Whatever happened to Jesus, no one would ever know. He would just be gone. Because they knew that, that the people in Jerusalem had really grown to love and respect Jesus. So If they're going to take care of Jesus, get rid of him. They had to do it in a way that didn't draw a lot of attention. So while they plotted back in Jerusalem, in the little town of Bethany, Jesus is having supper with his friends at Simon the leper's house. Now, Mark doesn't tell us who was there at this supper. We can assume it was probably some of his disciples, if not all of them. Uh, In John chapter 12... Uh, what we see that, that, that Judas Iscariot is there. He's the one who, who would betray Jesus. He was there. And while they're eating, Mark says this unnamed woman enters the room. And she has an expensive bottle filled with the oil of a plant that's found only in the Himalayan mountains. Now, think about that. 
The Himalayan mountains, that's in like Nepal, right? Northern India. These people didn't have FedEx. You couldn't go on Amazon and order expensive oil perfume and have it shipped. This was incredibly expensive stuff. It was hard to get. This, this perfumed oil in this vase was so rare that we're told it's worth about a year's salary. This perfume was only used by the uber-wealthy. Um, we see in, 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 in some of the Roman writings that the emperor was given this as a gift. That's how rare and, 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 and valuable this, this oil was. So how this unnamed woman got it to Bethany, I have no idea. It's anybody's guess, but she had it. Now John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, says that this woman was Mary, who was Lazarus and Martha's sister. They were friends of Jesus. Since they lived in Bethany, it would make sense for the three of them to be at this supper. Uh, so this woman, maybe Mary, but we don't really know. We, we don't really know who this woman was. She approaches Jesus with this sealed vase, because it was all packed away and sealed so it wouldn't spill. She breaks open the bottle, and then she pours all this oiled perfume on Jesus' head. But the Greek says that she didn't just open the vase. She shattered the top of the bottle, ruining this this vase. There was no way that this perfumed oil was getting back into that bottle. And poor Simon the leper, he had a mess in his house. And it probably, the, the, the fragrance was probably overwhelming. Now when we think of pouring an entire bottle of perfumed oil over somebody's head, it seems kind of crazy. We just don't do that today, do we? I mean, we see football coaches get Gatorade dumped on their head, but... Sometimes you can crack a confetti egg on somebody's head, but pouring oil on somebody's head? I mean, I don't want anybody pouring oil on my head. That just sounds just so ancient to us. But see, in the ancient world, these oils were a way to actually soothe one's skin. Um, It was refreshing. After a a hot day in the dry, dusty atmosphere of the Middle East, uh, to put oil on you. Kind of a perfumed oil. It, it, was, it, was, it was kind of a luxurious thing to do. And really, anointing someone with oil was also symbolic of God's call on somebody's life. We see in the Bible uh, that kings were anointed with oils, poured on their head. Prophets were anointed with oil. Um, in fact, it was an honor to have oil, a real fragrant oil poured on your head. It was, it was an honor. It was used at great feasts. To, to celebrate wonderful occasions, um, like in Psalm 23, verse 5. Uh, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. It's the same thing that this woman did to Jesus. Uh, and of course, strong perfumes were also used after people died to, to, to help with the smell of decomposition. So, after this woman pours this priceless perfumed oil all over Jesus' head, the men who were there at the dinner are furious. What are you doing? They couldn't believe this woman did this. What an absolute waste. 
That perfume was worth a fortune. You could have at least honored Jesus by selling it and giving the money to the poor. They were all over this unnamed woman. At the end of verse 5, it says that they, that they yelled at her with some more quotes that aren't used in the Bible. I guess it was so bad they couldn't get in the good book. But they were not happy with her. And Mark, when, when, when Mark writes that, that they scolded her, the word actually means that they snorted at her like an angry horse. Which may be kind of a put down of those guys. He was kind of calling them a horse. Imagine how this poor woman felt. I mean, all, all she wanted to do was to honor Jesus with the most valuable asset that she had. That's all she wanted to do. And now, after she did this, all that she felt in response to that was like she was a foolish woman. I really feel sorry for her in this moment. I mean, how embarrassed do you think she was? That is, until Jesus kind of lets the guys have it. Knock it off, he says. Why are you giving her a hard time for honoring me? That's all she wanted to do was to honor me, leave her alone. Then Jesus tells them that they're always going to have the poor around to help them whenever they want to. But he says, look, guys, I'm not always going to be with you. So let her honor me by symbolically preparing my body for burial. You see, the only one in the room other than Jesus that was even focusing on the fact that this was Jesus last week was this unnamed woman. Jesus had told the disciples, look, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested and killed. They knew that, I mean, he had messed up the temple, caused a big ruckus. He had spent some time teaching on the next day and made a lot of people angry. But only this woman wanted to honor Jesus before he died. Jesus says, look, you may think what she did was foolish, but people are going to be talking about her actions around the world till the end of time. And look, here we are. We're talking about what she did. See, in his wisdom, Jesus made the men feel like the fools. You know, I don't understand why there are some Christian traditions that refuse to allow women to have authority over men, spiritual authority. I mean, have they forgotten about passages like this in the Bible? The men here were the foolish ones. Jesus called the woman's actions wise and just because it honored Jesus. She is the spiritual leader here. Not these men who tried to sound all spiritual. Well, you should have given the money to the poor. That sounds spiritual, but Jesus knew right where their hearts were. See, we do lots of things, don't we, to try to bring honor to ourselves. Without even 
trying, we're not even thinking about it. It's like these other, like, like all these disciples, we, we try to appear spiritual so people will respect how holy we are. Jeff, I bet you experience this a lot at the seminary, right? These students try to out-holy each other. It's like the holy competition in seminary sometimes. I just spent three hours praying. Well, good for you. I just spent three hours and 14 minutes praying. Why do we do that? We all do that in one way or another. See, these men were focused on the finances. What a waste of money. The woman was focused on Jesus. Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, that the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. We can get all focused on financial projections or these intricate master plans and, and complicated organizational systems and we're all proud of ourselves. Yet in the process, we're like these foolish disciples when our wisdom completely leaves Jesus out of the mix. See, sometimes God in his wisdom leads us to do what the world might see as foolish especially if it has to do with the furthering of the gospel message. When I first told my parents that when I was getting ready to graduate from college that I was going to go to seminary because I felt a call of God in my life, my dad, who was the partner in charge of private business for KPMG accounting firm, said, wait a second, you can't make any money doing that. Because he was concerned about me. I'm like, Dad, God's going to take care of us. He's called me to do this. Cheryl and I are together on this. It seemed foolish. Now he gets it. What the world sees as wise, God says that's foolish. But yet why do we focus on what the world says rather than what on God says? In the eyes of the world, this woman wasted a year's salary for an event that lasted just seconds and made a big mess. Yet in honoring Jesus, there wasn't a better use for her valuable perfumed oil. How do we honor Jesus with the things in our lives that are the most important to us? Think about what those things are in your life that have the most value to you. How do you honor Jesus with them? How do we honor Jesus with our finances? How do we honor Jesus with our homes? How do we honor Jesus with our time? How do we honor Jesus with our families? How do we honor Jesus with our reputations? When the world says you got to work 60 hours a week, go, go, go. A faithful disciple of Jesus might say, no, I'm going to work 40 hours because I've got to honor my family and my church. When the world says get your child in every extracurricular activity you can, 
and every sports team you can get on. A faithful disciple of Jesus might say, well, my kids will be involved as long as it doesn't interfere with church activity. When the world says, make sure you're respected. Make sure you always look your best. A faithful disciple of Jesus might say, you know, I don't mind looking foolish as long as it brings honor to Jesus. Jesus was teaching his disciples in this moment that that living as citizens of the kingdom of God isn't about setting up little worldly kingdoms for ourselves. It's about honoring Jesus with the most valuable items in our lives. And you know, what happens right after this, when the woman pours this oil out, the disciples yell at her, and then Jesus yells at the disciples, boy, wasn't this an interesting supper? What happens right after this is very interesting. And I'm not quite sure what to make of it. It's what happens right after this event, and it's in verse 10. Sean didn't read this, but listen to verse 10. Right after this happened, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. Right after Jesus mentions how to honor him in a spiritual way. That's Judas's clue, and he leaves. Isn't that interesting? It's almost as if Judas, seeing how Jesus honored this woman for wasting all that money, finally realized what Jesus had been talking about. His kingdom wasn't going to be about having political power in the world and taking back, pushing the Romans aside and setting up the right people to, to run the country. Jesus was setting up a spiritual kingdom, not a political one. So he snuck off to make sure he was taken care of financially and to make sure that he was on the right side when Jesus was finally captured. See, notice how this story of this woman and the perfumed oil is bookended with verses about the plot to capture Jesus. I don't think that's a coincidence. Starts off with them plotting in Jerusalem. We have the event. Then it talks about Judas going to plot and and to betray him. Pay attention when you see things like that in the Bible. It's there for a reason. See, what we need to remember is that these these chief priests and these professors of religious law, and maybe even Judas himself, they thought that what they were doing was the right thing to do. They did. They thought that the message of Jesus was too dangerous. It was too radical. It was countercultural. It needed to stop so they could keep the status quo the way it was. I mean, even the disciples thought they were doing the right thing by scolding this poor woman. She's wasting a fortune. They thought that they, that they were right to do that. 
My goodness, what a lesson for us. Before we do anything that we think is right, let's be sure to check our own motivations for doing it. Is what we are after, is what we are supporting, what we're advocating, is it in line with God's word? Is our attempt at doing what we think is right for God really for God? Or is it because it's what we think ought to happen? We just put that spiritual flair on it. I mean, this could be anything that we're after. It could be from what ministries that we push to have in the church. It could be how we spend our time, our political views. It could be anything. Think what this scripture is telling us. Let's make sure that when we do something to honor Jesus, it's truly to honor Jesus. And if we look foolish in the process of honoring Jesus, that's even better. See, honoring Jesus isn't about our agenda. Honoring Jesus isn't about furthering a political party. Honoring Jesus isn't about people knowing who we are. Honoring Jesus is about people knowing who Jesus is. And if we can live a life in which people can come to know Jesus, that's how we honor God with our lives. You know, maybe that's why in Mark's gospel, the world knows what this woman did, even though Mark doesn't tell us her name. Because she wanted to honor Jesus without bringing attention to herself. She didn't care if anybody knew her name. Is that how we live our lives? Let's honor Jesus so that people can come to know Jesus. Who cares if they know who we are or what we've done? Let's pray.